Groundhog Day, the movie. Maybe you've seen it. Bill Murray is this really serious guy that never... No. Very funny, very funny. But Bill Murray is a weather reporter who's dissatisfied with life, he's dissatisfied with his job, and he has a miserable task ahead of him, which is going to Puxantani and there for the groundhog, seeing his shadow, so that he can give the report live on site in front of Puxantani Field, the, the groundhog. And so he goes reluctantly, he's looking forward to a new job, maybe that'll satisfy him. And he goes and he gives the report. Um, things are not going well. And he goes to sleep. And you know the story. The next day when he wakes up, the same song is playing on the radio. They're saying the exact same things. Everything around him is happening the same the very next day. And he's freaking out. And he thinks he's having an episode of deja vu. You know, the feeling that you've been there before and done this before. You know what Vujade means, right? The feeling you've never been there before? Anyway. <laughs> he thinks he's having a moment of deja vu, and, and so he's just confused that day and goes through the motions. And then the next day, 6 o'clock in the morning, bing, eyes open, same song playing, same commentary, same things happening. He's stuck in a time loop. He's living Groundhog Day, over and over and over. And the way he reacts to that is first frustration. He's just frustrated. He's just mean to everybody. And the next way he reacts to that, I mean, that's how we react to the, to the monotony of life, right? Sometimes we just get grumpy, bitter, nasty, dissatisfied. Dissatisfaction creates a lot of things in a lot of people. But next, he just, some other people re respond to the monotony of life this way. He just throws off all restraint. Eating all he can eat and getting in a police chase in the car and just doing a lot of wrong stuff. And every morning he wakes up with a reboot. No, he's not in jail, no. And then some people are tempted to deal with the, with the boredom and monotony and struggle of life this way. He tries every way he can to commit suicide. In fact, he won, in one point, he, he kidnaps the, the groundhog, Puxatani Field, and puts him in a truck that he stole, gets in a police chase, and then drives, the, like, Thel, was it Thelman Louise? What was that? Drives them both over a cliff. Next morning, same song. Back in the room again. Well, he eventually gets his eyes off of himself. Now, I wish I could tell you he... he, he Looked to God and was converted. No, it was the love of, it was a girl that got his eyes off of himself. And so he begins to invest every day in learning and changing and growing. He has a new attitude because he's pursuing this girl. And so he spends every day finding out what she likes. And, and, and eventually he can play the piano. He can, you know, he knows the poetry. He can do all the things. But it, he had a different perspective. He got outside of himself. That's the best the world can do, really. A girl changed him. And when he, when he works all of that out and gets together with, with, with her, I'll let you watch the movie. I won't ruin it for you. See, binge eating, one night stands, robbery, even nothing satisfied. He needed a higher purpose. And when he began to serve others, 
He had a whole new perspective. See, in our text today, we're stuck. We're stuck in not that kind of time loop, but we are in this world, especially in this fallen world that we're living in. We, we go through a lot of repetition. And it seems like just the same old stuff over and over sometimes, doesn't it? And if we lose sight of who God is and just focus on the monotony of this life, it's pretty depressing, distressing. We try to medicate ourselves with food or other things or distract ourselves or think life's just about having fun all the time. But we are in some, sometimes what seems like a meaningless repetition. And we look on this world and life here day after day and see, if we're thinking, we see more clearly than ever that things here just don't satisfy. They just don't, they don't last. Remember last week, the text, everything here is, it's just a brief, it's a pause, it's a vapor, it's a puff of wind. Seems like a meaningless repeat here under the sun. So last week we kicked it off with verses 1 and 2. We looked at the bookends of the book where everything is vanity. Well, that's you know, not a good translation of the word. Really, Hebel is just temporary, shallow, hollow. It can't sustain our satisfaction. And then the other end of the book, which is where Solomon is taking us. So the end shows us where he's taking us. The other end of the book and it tells us that our, we're created by God. We have a purpose in God, which is to glorify and honor Him and to live in light of the end of all things, knowing He will judge all things. So to find our hope, satisfaction, joy, purpose in Him. That's what we saw last week. And this, this week is uh, again setting the stage. We have an important question in verse 3, which this question he asks and doesn't really answer at this point because he's asking it in the rest of the book. So we'll look at things like, what does he mean by under the sun? What does he mean by toil and and satisfaction and nothing new? Uh, That's what we're going to look at in, in the rest of the introduction. Again, this is just, we're still in the introduction. Next week we'll look at wisdom. Why does he say, that knowing wisdom is madness and folly. So there must be a distinction there between some wisdom and other wisdom and how he can say in Proverbs that it's seek it like silver and gold and hear that it's folly and madness. We'll talk about all that next week. But this week we're looking to finish this introductory section. So the main point here, since everything here is ultimately repetitive, ordinary, and profitless... Look up and seek your maker for lasting satisfaction, joy, and profit. And you can kind of see the overlap between this week and next week. But look at Solomon's opening question, the first point. And we've seen this when we read it. But he asked a penetrating, um, good, good really, question. In verse 3 he says, what does man, or you say, what does mankind, what do we gain by all the toil at which we, he toils under the sun. What does, what does man gain? And then he says this, A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. Death is real. I think about all the genealogies in Scripture, and starting back in, in Genesis where so-and-so begot so-and-so begot so-and-so, and you see so-and-so died, so-and-so died. So-and-so died. We skipped that a little bit with Enoch, but so-and-so died. 
Generations come, generations go, and people just replace others. And really, big picture, everything just goes on as it has been. But he says, generations go and generations come, but the earth remains forever. What does he mean by gain in verse 3? What does mankind or what does man gain by all the toil? It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a financial term. What does it, you might, your translation might say profit. What do we profit from everything we go through here under the sun? We'll talk about that in a minute. What actually is the profit of life? Well, that, you know, I say that, that is a financial term for gaining you know, you can think of an investment or in a business or in a stock or something. You invest and you, you make a profit. You gain. In order to be profitable, you must function according to your design. Or you must use things according to the way that they're designed for those things to be profitable. Think about this. A hammer is a great hammer. But it's a terrible wrench. Although some of, how many of us have wanted to use the hammer fix, right? Which means just destroy the thing that's frustrating us. A car is a wonderful car, is a wonderful car but it's, a, it's an awful boat. I wouldn't advise you to go down to the boat launch and drive your car off into the water and try to use it for a boat. Dr. Piper at the seminary, he would always tell us, uh, not always, but occasionally he would tell the story. When computers first came out with CD-ROMs in them, the CD readers, tech support got call after call after call from people who said, my cup holder is broken. <laughs> Their CD-ROM was not profitable because they were not using it according to its design. It would not hold a full cup of coffee. Similarly, us, we have to function according to our design. Yes, we are designed. Yes, there is a God. You know it very well. You may claim to and hide behind some excuse of there is no God. But all people know there's a God. Romans 1. Not going there this morning. But man... For us to be profitable, we have to function according to our design. And the source of a lot of our misery is trying to use to be a CD-ROM for a cup holder. Trying to function outside of our design. See, a man makes a good man, but he makes a terrible God. You're designed for... Faith in God and faithfulness to God. You're designed for His glory. And His glory is your good. And thankfully, He's not left us to guess what glorifies Him. He's given us a sufficient word to lead us in trusting Him and following Him. Pointing us to our true joy. And to the extent that we believe and trust Him, we find it in Jesus he says, what does man gain by all the toil with which he toils under the sun? What That word toil is not merely the idea of work. I, honestly, I mean, like um, 
Bill Murray, I don't remember his name in the movie, but you know, he found frustration in his work instead of fulfillment because he looked to his work to satisfy him, and his work didn't have this purpose underneath this overarching design of his God. But this word toil is not merely the idea of work, but it has overtones of trouble and struggle. And since the fall in the garden, I'll let you go read that in Genesis 3. Work's been harder. Men have looked in the wrong place and therefore struggled and been dissatisfied. But when you see this word toil here, think of, yes, work, but more than that, bringing in these ideas of struggle and trouble. And then he says this, What does a man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? Under the sun. In this world. It's, it's really, it's, it's used some 40 times, so this is going to be an important concept as well as, you know, the word for vanity under the sun is going to show up. You know, this is a short book. It's going to show up 40 times in some form or the other, so it's an important concept. But it just means the here and now, the life that we access by our senses, what we can see, feel, touch, and everything, remember last week, that is temporary. Vacuous in and of itself. For, for there to be meaning here, we have to look higher than just life under the sun. But the, under the sun is just life as we experience it, as we access it via our senses. The everyday world we see and experience. And I talked about this last week, but we, we prioritize what we can see over what we can't see most of the time. And that's an exact flip of what Paul says the real realities are, are the unseen things. Christ, the word, the gospel, the fact that he has delivered us from death unto life. Solomon asked this question and spends the rest of the book answering it. He's going to show us that there's nothing here that, that is not a or a puff, right? That in and of themselves, anything here, nothing here, no people, no things can sustain the weight of our joy, purpose, satisfaction. That we have to look higher for that. There's no ultimate meaning apart from the ultimate being, which is God. What is Solomon doing? He's ripping off our rose-colored glasses. He's ripping off our misconceptions of what this world is and what life is here. He's shaking us by our shoulders and saying, Look at how things really are. Look past the deception. Look past the lies of the world, the flesh, and the devil. Look up and interpret everything in light. Of who your God is. He faces us with truth. The truth about life in a fallen world. That we are broken people in a broken world. That can't sustain itself and can't satisfy those who live here. We're not at home. This is not our home. But we are passing through to the real home. And we're passing through with a purpose of the glory of God and the good of our neighbor with the gospel. 
See, this world is not our home. It's broken and we can feel it. And you, all you have to do is turn on the news to see it. I mean, hurricanes. Why are there hurricanes? It's a testimony of brokenness. I, I, I saw this. I think Mallory posted it. That think life's getting back to normal. There's nothing abnormal about a hurricane coming at North Carolina. Thankfully, it's a tropical storm now and doesn't look like it'll be as bad. But we are broken people in a broken world. This is not our home. And we can feel it. And there's nothing here to truly sustain us and satisfy us. So look first, there's nothing new in nature. We're going to talk about nothing new when we get down here a little farther. But there's, there's this rep repetition. There's this pattern. And it can either be frustrating or you can see it as how things were designed and look outside of it for hope and satisfaction. But Solomon says this, then in verse 4, he said, he said, a generation comes and generation goes. Death is real. We need to face that. Now, how do we respond? Still setting the stage. In verse 5, nothing new in nature. Look at this. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. That, that is God speaking to us from, as what we see from our perspective. God condescends to us to communicate to us in ways that we can understand and grasp. And from man's perspective on the earth, especially when, you know, this is written, but even now, from our perspective, and we still use this terminology on the news every day, sunrise will be it, sunset will be it. I mean, we know the earth is spinning. But see, it's the same thing God does when He talks about it, to us about His, his wings or, or His hands or His eyes. He doesn't have any of that except in Jesus, and that's the human nature, not the divine nature. God doesn't have those things, but He condescends to speak to us in, in terms that we understand. But if you, think, if you get beyond the silly attempts at critique, you know, this is true. I mean, sunrise and sun goes down. Another day. It does it over and over and over. And it's designed to be that way. The sun rises and it goes down. And we do it all over again. Verse 6, the wind blows to the south, goes around to the north, around and around goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. The wind cycle is pretty much the same. I mean, surely it blows in different directions. Different. I mean, if you look on a global perspective, the wind cycle is pretty much the same. Every day. Oh. Thankfully we don't have hurricanes every day, but you get what I'm saying, the wind cycle. And then the water cycle. Look at this. All the streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. Everything in nature is repetitive, ordinary, and ultimately profitless if we focus, just focus on it for our ultimate profit. I mean, this is not the only place where you can find you know, the circle of the earth and the water cycle and evaporation and all of those things, they're in the Bible. But nature is in this loop. Everything that's happened, happens, it just keeps going, it's just this, this circle. And human experience, the third, and I'm moving quick because we're, we're moving pretty fast this morning, says the preacher. Yeah, you know when a preacher takes his watch off or when, and lays it up here or when he says, in conclusion? You know what that means? 
nothing. <laughs> it don't mean anything. It's just hopefully to get you to set easy for a little while longer. No, we can't help it, sorry. Pray for us. Third, nothing new in human experience. And we're going to come back. See, I don't want to just into these. We're going to come back to a lot of this as we study the book. Now, watch this, though. And see if you can identify this. All, all things are full of weariness. In verse 8. Unspeakable weariness. A man cannot utter it. I mean, life has a way of wearing us out, doesn't it? I don't know where you're living if you can't identify with that. And some of you are young and mom and daddy are taking care of everything and it doesn't seem to be. You just wait. But even you know it in your, in your day-to-day experience with friends and, you know, social media and all these things that can just eat you alive. Life has a way of wearing you out. And never, ever satisfying you. You always need just a little more. See, if, if, if we're not careful, we forget there's more than just this life ahead. I don't know how many of you are fans of the Andy Griffith Show, but if you're not, you should be. There's a lot of homespun wisdom and, and just fun in that show. But um, if you remember the old... Uh, he played, a, he played a, a number of different roles, but one was a moonshiner, Rafe Hollister. He sang a song... Of course, he took Barney's place. Barney wasn't very happy, but he sang a song. It was called Lonesome Road, and it wasn't just for the show. It's, it's a real song. It's pretty simple lyrics, right? But it says this, Weary toting. Boy, I want to sing it, but I can't sing. Cindy's like, don't. <laughs> you saw the other episode where they tried to get Barney to talk for the choir. He said, it's no use, Angie, and started singing. Anyway, I'm sorry for drifting down a Barney trail. Weary toting such a load, trudging down the lonesome road. Look down, look down that lonesome road before you travel on. Get a good grasp of what that lonesome road really is because there's another one coming. There's more than this life. But there's no lasting satisfaction here if we just focus here. I mean, kids, you even know this. You get a brand new toy, the toy you wanted, the thing you wanted for Christmas, and it's just awesome, and you're filled with joy for how many days? Until you need a new one or another one. Or How long do iPhones last? That's all planned, by the way, so that you'll need a new one. There's no lasting satisfaction here. Look, he picks it up in verse 8. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. You can see the world and you still want to see more. You can hear all the music in the world and you still want to hear more. What's the latest? What's the greatest? I started to say you can meet all the people in the world and you still want to meet more, but some of us don't want to meet all the people in the world. That's not a critique. That's just honesty. Some of us are introverts. Some of us, there are too many people in this room. But God has a sense of humor, right? Makes an interview to pass. Introvert. Interview? That's a new one. Introvert a pastor. No, I love you. I love being here. It just wears me out. And extroverts get 
get energized by being around people and introverts get sapped and that's just the way it is. Don't let that define you. It's not an excuse for not living for God either way because you have the word and you have the spirit. Be careful about boxing yourself in with man's thinking. Sorry, that's not in my notes, but I needed to hear it. So, Nothing here satisfies. Nothing new under the sun. Look at verse 9. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. There is nothing new under the sun. It's just this cycle. Sometimes the cycles are big and take a while to cycle. Sometimes they're small. I mean, this, this is just a little bit of an aside, but this is one of the reasons you want to study church history. There are no new heresies today. They've just been redressed. Arianism is now Jehovah's Witnesses, but it's the same thing. Some of you are looking at me like I've got a squirrel on my shoulder. But it's the truth. If you read church history, you'll, you'll see that. And it'll prepare you to face it. And somebody's talking to you about Mormonism or Jehovah's Witnesses or things like that. And you'll think, hey, we've seen this before. This Way back there, the church declared this a heresy and showed why it was true. The heresy part, that it was a heresy. What has been done will be done. So he's not speaking here about technological advance or development. And even that, there's nothing ultimately new. We just have better rock throwers or better calculators or better encyclopedias. Or A machine gun is nothing more than an improved rock thrower. That's from Dr. Shaw, by the way. There's nothing new. The point is here, there's nothing new in human nature and experience. So this book applies just as much to us as it did the original audience. And all the trouble in the world today shows that there's nothing new in human experience. There's nothing new in the human race. We are all come from the womb, sinful, flawed, needing a Savior, needing a new heart. Listen to me. This world looks exactly, this is a gracious with God's grace in play, this world looks exactly as you would expect it to look if the Bible is true. This word rightly interprets who God is and tells us who God is, who we are, what we're designed for, how we rebel against that and all of the misery of life that it produces. Culturally, this culture has sort of completely turned its back on God's way, God's commands, revelation, just going its own way, descending into chaos. I mean, read Romans 1. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images that looked like man. All the trouble in the world testifies that this word is true. Is there anything of which it is said, see it is new, it has already been in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of latter things yet to be among those who come after. You know, I remember when I was not a believer, before I was a believer, this is one of the things that haunted me. I wanted to be remembered. We have an innate desire to be significant, to make a difference, to be remembered. And I remember, and this is silly, but I remember as 
I don't know how old I was. I was young, mid-teens probably, looking at street signs that were named after people and hoping one day that maybe I could do something to have a street sign named after me so people would remember me. An innate desire to be significant, to be remembered, to not be forgotten. But we are forgotten in the most part. It's, this is generally, you know, like Proverbs, this is what's generally true. How many of you know anything about your great-great-great-great-grandparents? Unless you've been on Ancestry.com, probably nothing. And even then, probably only their names. And that's just an illustration. But you know, coming to Christ and believing the Word and having God and, and having reconciliation with Him and hope for the future, I really don't care if people remember me anymore. Matter of fact, I hope they forget most of it. Just remember Jesus and let me fade into the background. Anything good in my life is His fault and the rest is mine. So just look to Him. Like nature, human life here is repetitive, ordinary, apparently profitless if we focus on the, the here and now. Solomon will not sugarcoat life for us. Quick, quick, quick application and we're done. Again, remember, that means nothing. Uh, but look, how to answer question verse 3. He's going to answer that throughout the book. But really, what permanent gain is there to find on earth? The song I mentioned earlier has another line in it. And it says this. Look down, look down that lonesome road. I'm sorry for those of you who are now singing that in your head that watched the show, but it happened to me. So It says, look down, look down that lonesome road before you travel on. Look up. Now here's the, twi- here's the turn. Look up. Look up and seek your maker before Gabriel blows his horn. Seek your maker now. See, that's how this book ends. That's where Solomon takes us. Ultimately, it is fruitless to focus under the sun. Even if you gain everything the world has to offer. Jesus said so, right? Mark 8, 36. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? What is the expected answer? Nothing. It profits a man nothing to even gain the whole world and forfeit his soul. Now this is not saying, because you have to read the rest of Scripture, this is not saying don't work hard. Don't work hard, don't be a provider, because that's part of glorifying God. But certainly don't hope in it, and don't make it all about you, and just getting as much stuff as you can get. If God has trusted you with a lot of stuff, there's no sin in that. Just be faithful to Him with it. If God has trusted you with nothing, don't sin in that. Trust Him to provide your daily bread. Be working hard, but be looking to Christ and trusting Him and waiting and living for Him. Which brings up a question. Where do we find Christ in Ecclesiastes? I mean, He taught the disciples that the whole book was about Him. Big picture. Not every verse is about, you know, literally Jesus He's the, he's, the, he's the star. He's the center. He's the focus. But Dr. Shaw answered that question this way in the book. And if you don't have the book yet, you'll see it on page 17. 
but uh, here's the quote. For the reader wondering about finding Christ in the book, here's what he says. This is the world Christ came to save. It is the world He came to inhabit. For the sake of His people, He submitted Himself to this life with its repetition, its ordinariness, its seeming failure to make any progress. So when this vision of life brings you to frustration and disappointment, remember that Christ did not come to make you successful in this life, but to save you from its fallenness and yours. And to bring you into a world where nothing is ordinary. New heavens, new earth. And where everything is new. Jesus said this, and I often quote it, trying to give us a good perspective on this life. He says, in this world you will have trouble. Period. But, bring the gospel into the picture. Take heart, I have overcome the world. Implication for you. In this world, it's going to be weary a lot of the times. It's going to be boring a lot. Kids, learn how to be bored. I shouldn't even just say that to the kids these days. Parents, learn how to be bored and use it well. Life is not to be 100% entertainment. Sometimes we have to work hard and sweat and be frustrated. To grow. But Jesus said, in the world you're going to have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome it for you. How did He overcome it? By humiliating Himself. He was born under His own law, Galatians 4.4, and He fulfilled it completely. All righteousness He fulfilled. He is the only one who ever lived who kept the law in thought, word, and deed out of a heart that loved the Father and sought His glory. He did that for the glory of God. He did that for the good of His people because that righteousness would be given to us through faith or imputed if you prefer that language. So He humiliated Himself. His humiliation began in the manger. Y'all know the manger is not a baby bed, right? Feed trough. He was born under His own law. He lived under the law. He fulfilled it. And then He died on the cross. Why? He, was, he deserved only blessing. He died on the cross to pay the penalty for His people's sin. You, if you're trusting in Him. He was buried, but He went through the grave. He didn't stay in it. He went through it. And He was raised from the grave the third day, victorious. And His disciples and His apostles saw Him. Over 500 at one time saw Him. He was with them for 40 days before He ascended into heaven, training them for the mission to proclaim the kingdom of God. And He's reigning now for the salvation of His people. See, here's the good news. Here's what makes life worth living. Here's what takes our hearts from here and sets them in heaven and makes Him our treasure. Christ died for our sins. According to the Scriptures. He was buried and He was raised the third day according to the Scriptures. And hope for this life and for the life to come is found in Him. If, you, if you're trusting in Jesus, if you repent, if you turn from self and your own way 
and from pursuing sin for satisfaction, if you turn and turn to God and receive Jesus as your Savior, if you trust in Jesus and Jesus alone, first of all, it means God's at work in you, bringing you to faith and repentance. But the outflow is, of that is you're forgiven of all of your sins. But your record's not just wiped clean. His righteousness is credited to you. So that before the throne, listen to me, struggling believer, before God's judgment throne, if you are trusting in Christ, your record is one of perfect and total and complete obedience because you have died and your life has been hidden with Christ in God. And when He appears, you will be like Him. It's all a free gift through faith. You can't earn it. Are you trusting in Jesus? Does His love for you satisfy you? Do you need anything else? Jesus, I know you died for me, but I just need a little bit more. How terrible is that? We never overtly say that, but we live that way sometimes, don't we? Kids, teenagers, young men and women, grown men and women, everybody listening to my voice, turn and trust in Jesus and in Him alone. And you will have salvation. And if you'll trust Him, you will have satisfaction. Because you'll find it above this life. You'll find it in heaven where your Savior reigns. Psalm 90 verse 14 says this. Satisfy us in the morning. You want to go through the loop with joy, that repetition of day? Morning, evening, morning, evening. Look at this, Psalm 90 14. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love. Notice there's not, a con there's not an and there. There's nothing added to that. Satisfy us in the morning with your faithful covenant love executed in your Son. The fact that Jesus came to live and die and be raised from the grave to save us. Satisfy us in the morning with your chesed. With your steadfast love. That we may rejoice and be glad all of our days. That is the secret to being satisfied and rejoicing and being glad all of your days is to be satisfied in the love of God in Christ Jesus, His Son. Are you tired of living Groundhog Day over and over again with seemingly no profit and no hope of change? If so, Look up, look up, and seek your maker before Gabriel blows his horn. Focus your heart and life higher than this visible, broken world. And be empowered to live with joy for his glory. To live as Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we have to remember this every day. There's no checkbox to check this off. We need every day, we need every morning to get up and ask you to satisfy us in your steadfast love, to focus us on the realities of Christ and our salvation in Him. Lord, I pray for any who are listening to me either in this room or online, if they are refusing this gospel, I pray that you would not give them joy and satisfaction. In fact, that you would make them miserable until they're willing to joyfully bow the knee 
and trust in you, Lord Jesus, for salvation. But I pray for everyone who is trusting you this morning, some who have a very strong faith and are confident in you, some who have a very weak faith and wonder a lot whether they really have salvation. Help us all to look to Christ and to rest in Him and trust in Him. To know that even through our weakness, your strength is made perfect. Your grace is sufficient. You are weaning us from dependence upon ourselves and upon this world and upon anything under the sun and attaching our hearts to you so that we are rooted and grounded, abiding in and living for the Lord Jesus Christ. So save souls through this gospel, Lord. Sanctify souls through this gospel. Get us outside of ourselves to hope in Jesus. Prepare our hearts for the supper when we celebrate and proclaim your death for us until you come again. Work powerfully in us, Lord, and through us, I pray. In Jesus' holy name, amen.